And so this morning, just for a few moments, I want to um, preach on Palm Sunday. I've been in a sermon series called The Witnesses. And so we started this a few weeks ago, The Witnesses, The Journey to Easter. And so every week, the past few weeks, I have taken a person in the Easter story and we have seen how that person was a witness to the Easter story and the Easter uh, uh, or the events surrounding Easter. Remember on the first Sunday of the series, we dealt with the Apostle Peter, how even though in his failures, God still used him. He was a witness of the powerful resurrection of Jesus. And last week, we dealt with what? How many remembers what we dealt with last week? Pilate's wife. It's a story that you normally don't hear of, but we looked at Scripture and looked how God used Pilate's wife. And of course, Christian tradition tells us that Pilate's wife became a Christian. Her name was Claudia, and she did great things for the Lord. And so we looked at Pilate's wife, we looked at Peter, and now this morning, and this Palm Sunday sermon, this Palm Sunday service, we're going to look at some other witnesses of the events concerning Easter. So I'm asking you to open up your ears and your hearts as you let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. And I pray today that as you hear the word, you will be found faithful, but not only faithful, you'll be found fruitful as well. Lord, we thank you for this time to get in your word today. We pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. And everyone shouted a great big amen. The story has already been read several times this morning, but it's found in John chapter 12, verse number 12. I want you to pay attention to the first sentence of this passage. The next day, a great multitude, would you shout a great multitude, came to the feast and they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, setting on a donkey's colt. So the witnesses this morning, the journey to Easter. You know, today... Around the world, multitudes of millions of people are remembering this ancient story. This is what we call the beginning of Holy Week. Now, I know most of you may not be given to tradition, but I believe that tradition is important. The reason I believe that Christian tradition is important is because it gives us tools that we can use to pass on the story to the next generation. It is very important and very imperative of us that we continue to remember these stories and celebrate these stories and tell these stories so that the next generation is aware of what has occurred in the story. Amen? That's why we incorporate the kids and we bring the kids out and they read the story. We want them to understand the importance of this day and the importance of this holiday, this this Christian tradition that we are observing today. Not only Palm Sunday, but Good Friday and Easter. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to hand the story to the next generation. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to be agents of the gospel. For us to be a gospel teller. For us to tell the gospel to the next generation. 
How many would wave your hand and say, Pastor, I believe it's important that we tell the next generation the story. We should be storytellers. We should be gospel tellers. We should be gospel tellers of this great story. Now, the story, the reason one of this, this story is important is because if you take your Bible and you go to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find this story in all of them. Now, that's significant. And the reason it's significant is because some of the stories in the Gospels are only recorded once. Some of the stories are recorded multiple times. But this Palm Sunday story is recorded in all of the Gospels. That means if you go to the book of Matthew, it's there. It's there in the book of Mark. It's there in the book of Luke. It's there in the book of John. It's found in all of the Gospels. Now, how many would agree with Pastor that if the story is told more than once, it's probably an important story for us to give adherence to? How many would raise your hand and say it's probably an important story? And so I think that it's important for us to pay attention to why this story is written and what we can learn about this story. Is there something in this story that we can learn about? And how can we apply it to our life? One of the great things about preaching the Word of God is this. The Word of God is inspirational. And the Word of God is not only inspirational, but I believe the Word of God is informative. I believe a good sermon should be inspirational and it should be informative. But I also believe that a good sermon should be applicable. That means you should be able to apply it to your life. I believe that all the scriptures were written so that you can apply it to your life. If you dig deep enough and you look at the story, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth of the story to you and you will find how you can apply that to your life. Now let me make sure you understand something. There is only one revelation, but there are multiple illuminations of the one revelation. You see, it's not the book of revelations. It's the book of revelation. There's not multiple revelations. It's not Walmarts. It's Walmart. And all the church said amen. <laughs> so there's one revelation but there's multiple illuminations. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And if you're going to spiritually discern what the Holy Spirit wants you to see, then you've got to come to the Word of God with a hungry and contrite heart. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit, is there something in this story that you want me to see with my spiritual eyes and discern with my heart? so that it could be used to mold me and make me and shape me so that I could be found fruitful and faithful in your vineyard. I don't know about you, but that's my heart this morning. Is that your heart this morning? How many can just wave your hand and say, Pastor, I want the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of the Word of God in my life so it could change my life. You see, anytime you come to the Word of God, you should come to it with a hungry heart, willing to learn, be teachable and open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and do in your life. Now, as a pastor, this year, I have started pastoring when I was 22. I'm 42. This June, I have pastored for 20 years straight. Isn't that crazy? I can't even believe it. But in all of those years of me preaching, I, every Palm Sunday, I've preached a Palm Sunday message. I've preached an Easter message. 
And every year when I come to the Bible, I say to myself, well, I can't preach what I preached last year, so I need to find something new and fresh. And sometimes it's very perplexing to me. I'm thinking, I don't know what else I could bring out of this story. I've already preached it for 19 years. I don't know what else to say. But you know what I have found in my prayer closet? I have found that when you go and you begin to pray, you begin to pour your heart out to the Lord. The Bible is a well that never runs dry. It's a fountain of life. And when you go to the Word of God with a hungry heart, and you go to the Bible with a heart that really wants to see what God wants you to see, I'm telling you today, the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. He's the great paraclete. He's the great illuminator of the truth. And if you go with a hungry heart, I'm telling you, He will reveal things to you that is transformative in your life. Kind of reminds me of Jacob. You remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? The Bible says he wrestled with the angel of God all night. And the next morning, he had a limp. You see, I'm a firm believer that when you come in contact with God and you wrestle with the Scriptures, and you wrestle in the presence of the Lord, it causes you to walk differently. It causes you to limp. I'm telling you, you know you're growing when you walk different. You know you're growing when you walk with a limp. You know you're growing when you, listen, sometimes you got to wrestle through it so you're not wrestled out of it. And that's when I come to the Bible, I, I wrestle with things because I don't want to be wrestled out of it. And I wrestle in things. And I'm telling you, as I was praying, I, 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 I sense the Spirit. And I want to go off, I usually never go off the course, but I'll just Step over here a little bit. As I was praying, I, uh, I didn't hear from the Lord, so to speak, but I felt an impression as I was praying. Just, just, just an impression as I was praying. I felt like the Lord felt as though, and I could be wrong, I just felt this strong impression that the Lord was saying that America, the church, we're getting ready to go through some more hard times. We already went through COVID. We already went through some perilous times. But I felt like the Spirit was saying to me that we're going to go through some more. But then I heard the Spirit say to me, as I have protected Noah and his family in the ark, in the midst of the flood, so won't I protect my people. I will be the ark of safety. And I will protect them from the winds and the waves of this culture. And I will preserve them. And I felt like the Spirit told me to tell you that no matter what the future holds, I want you to know that He is the ark. And we're going to stay in the ark. And He's going to preserve us. He's going to keep us. He's going to protect us. Because we're found in the ark. And I also feel like this. I also feel like that the devil is not going to get the last word. You look around, and it looks as though the tares are outgrowing the wheat. And it looks as though the tares are bigger than the wheat. But I want to let you know that I believe that if you read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit has already been poured out, and the Holy Spirit is going to be not only... Did you hear what the Scripture said? In the last days, you see in the Old Testament, the priest would sprinkle the oil or the water or the blood on people. 
But now it's reversed. In the New Testament, it's not only sprinkled, now it's poured. In the last days, I will pour my spirit out upon your sons. Oh my God, help me Jesus. Upon your daughters, and they shall prophesy. You see, in the Old Testament, they would sprinkle They sprinkled the blood on the people. They would sprinkle the oil on people. And what would happen is the Spirit would only come up on designated people. The Spirit would come up on priests and kings, or the Spirit would come up on designated people who was required for service. And the Spirit usually never came upon women. In the New Old Testament, it was usually men that it came upon. But now it's switched. Now in the New Testament, it's no longer sprinkled. Now it's poured. It's no longer on designated people. Now it's on men and women and older and younger and on children. I don't know about you, but no matter what we go through as a nation, we're going to be in the ark of safety and we're going to experience God's refreshing, refining power of the Holy Spirit. The devil is not going to get the last word. He's not going to get the last say. He's not going to win. We're going to go out with the gold of the Egyptians. We're going Is there anybody that can just stand to your feet and say, there is something in my spirit that just leaps and says amen. Amen. Right before, Brother Mike, right before God took them out of Egypt, there was not one of them feeble among them. They were laid down with the gold of the Egyptians, and they had to leave with haste. Didn't even have time to put yeast in their bread. Hallelujah. Because that's what God is going to do. The things we've prayed about is going to happen suddenly. I don't know about you, but in the last six weeks, people have been showing up to this church I don't even know. They drive by this church and say, well, I think I'll just try to this church. All you folks that just told me in the foyer that you drove by this church and you just felt like you needed to visit, we've been praying for you. We've already went up in attendance 9%, and that was four weeks ago. We've already went up more. I want to let you know it's not all about attendance. I'm just saying I had nothing to do in it. Because what God is getting ready to do, he's going to do suddenly. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody just wave your hand and say, I thank you, the Lord. Can somebody just with your faith reach out into the heavens and grab what belongs to you today? I said amen. Amen. So I just want to let you know that was what I sensed in prayer. It's what I sensed in prayer. Hallelujah. It's what I sense in prayer. Now, if you don't sense it, that's fine. But you know, I was teaching this morning in Growth Point. We were packed out in growth. We couldn't even get anybody in that room. You know, we were just stuffed in there. By the way, we have over 80 people going to Growth Point 101. Isn't that wonderful? Over 80 people. And I want to say to you, thank you for being teachable. Thank you for willing to learn and grow. This is the culture of this church. It's to push you to grow, to push you to learn, to grow, 
to absorb head, heart, hands, and feet. God wants to do something not only in our heads, but our hearts and our hands and our feet. So I felt like that the Spirit is saying He's going to preserve us in the ark of safety. At the same time, not only will He preserve us in the ark of safety, we're going to experience an oasis of the presence and the power of God. Now I know when you read Scripture, when you read Scripture, the Scripture does not teach that there's going to be a worldwide revival before the coming of the Lord. The Scripture teaches that there's going to be a great falling away. The Scripture teaches that many will leave the faith, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Scripture teaches that there's going to be a great falling away. You see, some of you, you know, not faithful to church and just show up. Listen, it's, it's a part of the end times. Until you get it in your heart that this is priority, nothing will ever change in your life. The Scripture says there's going to be a great falling away. People are going to fall away. People are going to give heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. They're going to run after things. And, and the Bible says if it's possible, the very elect will be deceived. The love of many will draw cold. That's what the Scripture says. That's what, exactly what we're experiencing in our society. But I also believe if you study church history, that even though that's happening in the church, there's also puddles of oasises that's found in churches. There will be churches that have a hunger and a desire for the move of God, and those places will experience what God has in store for them. It might not be every church, but I'm letting you know some churches will experience what God has for them. Now listen, I want you to learn in the head. And I want you to know the scriptures. And I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. But at the same time, I want you to experience the power and the presence of Almighty God. I want your heart to be changed and moved to a greater affection for Jesus. Man, I said amen. As I read this story, I thought, well, how in the world am I going to get anything out? But Brother Mike, I saw something. And when I read it, I started crying because I'm like, I didn't see this. I've read this story for years and years and years. But yet the Holy Spirit said to me, this is just an applicable application. There's a one interpretation. There's many applications. But number one, this is what I, I felt like the Spirit was saying. It was the writing on not the turning back that made the resurrection possible. You see, Jesus got on a donkey and he went towards Jerusalem. He was going towards Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, even though he knew he was getting ready to die at the end of the week. He, even though he knew that his disciples would leave him. Even though he knew that it looked very bleak, even to the point where he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It was so bad that in the garden, his sweat became great drops of blood. Even though all of that, he knew that. He got on the donkey and he rode into Jerusalem knowing what was getting ready to happen. And my friends, sometimes you got to make a decision in your life that you got to keep riding on, even though you know some things may not work out the way you think it should. you got to make up your mind 
that you've got to take a step towards the right direction, even though you've got something in the pit of your stomach. You feel sick. It's that icy cold feeling while everybody else is waving palm branches and everybody else is shouting Hosanna and everybody else is singing the praises. You have something in your gut. You know what is getting ready to happen. You see them getting ready to nail you on the cross. You see them getting ready to pluck your beard and whip your back, the cat of nine tails. But in spite of all of that, you don't turn the donkey back. You keep going in the right direction, even though you know what the future holds. My friends, you've got to make a decision. No matter how bleak a situation may be, no matter how negative a situation may be, sometimes you've got to just push your way forward. And I'm telling you, the resurrection and the Easter story is made possible because Jesus never turned back. The Easter story is relevant today because Jesus never turned back. Jewish tradition teaches us that when somebody would carry a cross, when they would walk to the place of execution, the Romans called it the one way. The one way. Why did they call it the one way? Because there was no opportunity to turn back. Let me say something to you. When you got saved... Jesus picked you up out of the miry clay, dusted you off, and put you on a road called one way. That means there is no option for you to turn around and go back the other way. There is no backsliding in the option. There is no apostatizing the faith. There's no giving up and throwing in the towel. If Jesus lives on the inside of you, you got enough Holy Ghost to keep pushing you in the right direction, even though you know what lays ahead. Pick up your cross. And go the one way, because there is no turning back. If you're going to ride, you can't turn back. You see, it's that internal struggle. Jesus got victory over the internal struggle. And when you get victory over your internal struggles... You can have the courage to keep going on. The reason that people give up and turn back is because they don't have victory within themselves. Jesus was resolved. Jesus made up his mind. This is the will of God. And I must keep riding on. Even though my stomach is in knots, I'm going to ride on. Even though I know what awaits me on Friday morning, keep on.
even though I could hear the crowd say, give me Barabbas, crucify him. i got to keep going on. I see all of you waving your palm branches, but some of you will be in the crowd to condemn me in a few days. But i got to keep going on. i got to keep going on. My friends, I have found myself in situations where I didn't feel like I wanted to go on. But you know why I kept going on? Because I look beyond Good Friday. And I see that Sunday's in the picture. <laughs> Can I tell y'all something? The reason you can keep going on and riding on is because Friday isn't the end of the story. God has a Sunday in your life. Hallelujah. He has a Sunday in your life. Maybe, Pastor Ingle, that's the reason he could keep riding on into Jerusalem. Because he knew that Sunday was in his future. And you know what? That's why, that what keeps pastors going on. They see empty pews. They look beyond it. They see a Sunday in the picture. You look beyond people who are sick and dying and you could see a Sunday in the picture. You can sit and hold people as they pass on from this world and you think this is a horrible, horrible Friday. But you got to look at the Sunday in your life. Sometimes you look at your circumstances and all you see is a Friday. Sometimes you got to see the Sunday in your life. Now, it's interesting to me that in this story, number two, you will see that greatness is expressed through the posture of humility. Now, I've never seen this before, and you don't have to turn there, but this is what was revealed to me. In the book of Matthew is the same story, is the Palm Sunday story. But look at this, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew 20, verse 20. I want you to see the context of the story. A mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, and she knelt down, and she asked something of him. Verse 21. And he said to her, what do you wish? He said, well, grant that my two sons may sit with you, one on your right hand, on the, on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? You want to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Verse 23. He said to them, ye shall indeed drink my cup, and you will be baptized with my baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand, on my left hand, is not mine to give. It is for those whom it's prepared by my Father. Verse 23. And when they heard this, they were displeased with the two brothers. Now, you see the story here? A mother and her two sons coming to Jesus, and she's saying, Master, can my two boys sit with you in your kingdom? Jesus is like, well, I can't really tell you. My father is the one that's going to appoint the people. One chapter later, chapter 21, chapter 21, verse 6, just flip a chapter over. Verse number 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. 
Verse number 7, and they brought a donkey and a colt and laid the clothes on him, and he sat on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches and trees and spread them on the road. The multitudes who went before them, they cried out, saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord of hosts. Verse number 10, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth from Galilee. You see, chapter 20, you have people asking to be great. Chapter 20, you have a mother asking Jesus, can my sons sit with you in your kingdom? You have an attitude of entitlement. Can they sit with you? My two sons. What made her think that Jesus would pick her two sons instead of not choosing his disciples? You have an attitude of wanting to be great in his kingdom. But in chapter 21, Jesus demonstrates the posture of humility. And what is the posture of humility? Jesus said on a donkey, not a horse. He didn't ride into Jerusalem demanding his rights. He rode into Jerusalem as a symbol of peace. He relinquished his rights. He wasn't there to overthrow the government. He wasn't trying to set up a political kingdom. You see, chapter 20, you have disciples wanting to be great. And chapter 21, Jesus demonstrates the posture of humility. If anyone is going to sit in the kingdom, it's Jesus. But Jesus demonstrates by riding a donkey that humility comes from a posture of humility. But you see, the story doesn't end there. Do you see what happens here? The mother of Zebedee's sons, look at it. Matthew chapter number 20, verse number 20, look at it. Matthew 20, verse number 20, do you see what happens here? The mother of Zebedee's sons came with her sons, kneeling down and asking something. You see, a posture of humility is not doing the right activity, but on the inside desiring position. And how many Christians have been guilty of performing religious activity, but in their heart all they desire is praise, glory, affirmation. So you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. She had the right posture, but she didn't have humility. Jesus had the right posture. He rode the donkey, but yet his posture demonstrated his spirit. He was humble. See, my friends, what can we learn from this story? We learn that you've got to keep riding on, even though you know what's going to happen. Number two, greatness is expressed through the posture of humility. And number three, Jesus came to meet their needs and not their expectation. You see, they wanted a political kingdom. They wanted to be delivered from Rome. They wanted Jesus to establish his kingdom so much that Judah sold him in the end. Why would a man sell out his master, his teacher in the end? It wasn't because Judas didn't believe in Jesus. Judas believed 
in Jesus. Jesus did not do what Judas wanted him to do. Judas wanted a physical kingdom. And Judas wanted to sit with him in his kingdom. Jesus, you're too nice to the Romans. Jesus, telling us to be a two-mile man in a one-mile world, you're telling us to be love our neighbor, be nice to those who persecute us. The Romans are nothing but money-hungry political pigs. You want us to love the Romans. You see, when Jesus don't meet your needs, you serve Jesus out of frustration. When Jesus don't meet your expectations, you serve Jesus out of frustration. You remember Peter? He was very frustrated. He took a sword out and cut the servant's ears off. They came to arrest Jesus. Peter's like, you can't arrest him. Jesus, hurry up. Establish your kingdom. When Jesus don't meet your expectations, you serve him out of frustration. Lastly, when I read this story, I thought to myself, well, who are the witnesses? I'm doing a sermon series on the witnesses. Who's the witness here? Is Jesus the witness? Well, he's not really the witness. He's the, he's the apex of the Easter story. You know, the first Sunday I talked about Peter being an Easter witness. Last week I said Pilate's wife was the Easter witness. She demonstrated the trial. She, she, she watched her husband perform the trial of Jesus. I propose to you what was the conversation when they went to bed last night. After Pilate ignored the words of his wife, what did they say that evening? And who is the witnesses here? You see, it's interesting that in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the Gospels says that there was a great crowd there. Look at it. John chapter 12. Let's just look at the text that I have. John chapter number 12. The Bible says there was a great crowd. Look at it. Verse number 12. John 12 verse 12. The next day there was a great multitude that had come to the feast. The same multitude is the multitude that took some palm branches and they begin to wave it and cry, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So in all of the Gospels, it states that there was a great crowd. And my friends, the real witnesses were in the crowd. I believe that that's where the witnesses were. I want you to think about it. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Oh, you know, that's prophetic in its nature. You know why I believe that's prophetic, Jesus coming into Jerusalem? Because in the book of Ezekiel, remember what the prophet said? The prophet said, I saw the glory of the Lord lift off of the temple, and it went eastward. In the same book, the prophet said that the glory had returned from the east back to Jerusalem. This is very prophetic, because when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, Jesus is fulfilling the book of Ezekiel. Jesus is now the glory of God returning back to Jerusalem. He's the glory of God. He comes into the city of Jerusalem. God is with us. I thought about how in the world 
would the witnesses be the crowd? How are the crowd the witnesses? Well, I just want you, as I close this morning, I want you to think about who was in the crowd. There was hundreds of people waving their palm branches that day. There was little children waving their palm branches. Women waving their palm branches. Men waving their palm branches. They were all waving it. And they were crying, Hosanna, which means save us. Now, some of them, I'm sure, were saying, Lord, save us from Rome. Do something and deliver us from this oppression. Maybe some of them was waving because they truly believed that Jesus was who he said he was. They were waving. They saw the embodiment of a new kingdom. They saw in an embodiment of a new way of living. They wave their branches. And as I read this Palm Sunday sermon, and I looked through the pages of Scripture, I had to ask myself, who are these people? Because the Bible never gives us an indication of who these people are. Nowhere does it say who the great multitude was. So I've got to infer upon the text of who I think it might be. Oh, think about it. Think about it. They're waving their branches. I just can't help but to think maybe blind Bartimaeus was in the crowd. Maybe blind Bartimaeus was waving his branch with tears rolling down his cheek and saying, I had to show up today to give him some thanks because I remember when I was blind and nobody helped me on the way. This man stopped what he was doing and I can see today because of that man. And I've come today to wave my branch to give him some glory. Maybe he was in the crowd. But as I think about the story, maybe there was another person. Maybe Lazarus was in the crowd. You know, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. He ate at their homes. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Jesus knows them very well. He went to their house after church on Sundays to have Sunday dinner. Jesus wept at his tomb. Oh, I, I have to think that they were there in the crowd. I have to think that Lazarus was waving his branch and remembering, I remember when I was dead, not one day, not two days, but I was so dead I was stinking. And they rolled me in a tomb. I couldn't even get out. But one day as I was laying there dead, my body icy cold, I heard a voice. And that voice said, Lazarus, come forth. I have to come today to wave my branch and give him some glory because I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. He was a witness, the miracle of the resurrection. Oh, I have to think that maybe the woman with the issue of blood, you remember her? She had to crawl her way through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. I can't help but to think that the woman with the issue of blood, she was there. 
You know why I believe she was there? She came to tell Jesus, Jesus, I want to let you know I don't have to crawl through the crowd no more. I can stand in the crowd and wave my branch. I want to let you know, Jesus, I'm healed and made whole, and i got to come and give you some glory. Is there anybody up in this church this morning that you got to praise that you need to give the Lord? Is there anybody in this building that you can wave your branch and say, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but I'm a part of the crowd today, and I've come to church to wave my branch to let the Lord know I'm thankful what He's done for me. Woo! You remember, you remember, you remember Peter's mother-in-law? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, Peter's mother-in-law was sick unto death. She had a fever. The Bible says that Jesus laid his hands on her and she was healed. I can't help but to think that Peter's mother-in-law was in the crowd that day, waving her branch. Oh, oh, you remember. You remember, in, in I think it's uh, Matthew chapter 9, you remember the paralytic man? He couldn't walk. And the Bible says his four friends came and knocked a hole in the roof and let the man down. And Jesus saw their faith and healed the man. Surely that man was in the crowd that day. He came to tell Jesus, Jesus, my friends are with me. We all want to show up today to let you know we're thankful for what you did for Jesus, I didn't even have enough faith to believe. But thank you that you accredited their faith to my healing. Oh, what about Jairus' daughter who was sick and died? Oh, I just know that Jairus' mother and daddy and that little girl came came, begin to wave their branch, remember that I was sick, and now I'm restored. But what about the woman in Luke 13 that was crippled over? The Bible says she couldn't even lift herself up because she was so crippled. I could just see that woman in the crowd. She walked to get to the crowd. Because she heard that there's a man by the name of Jesus. And it sparked her memory. Because she thought to herself, I remember a few years ago I was in church and at the synagogue. And I was sick and I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't even look up to see who's preaching. But I remember there was a man there. You know, the, he's about six foot with a beard. He, he's kind of handsome, you know. I, I, he was there. I remember his voice. I remember him reading from the Torah. I remember I was so sick. But I also remember that Jesus said unto me, Woman, thou art loosed. And just then, I remember like electricity flowed through my body and my crippled back became straight. I got to come today and wave my branch and let him know that if it wasn't for him, I would still be crippled. What about, what about the demon-possessed man? He was so out of his mind that the Bible says that he was found in the tombs cutting himself naked. But when Jesus came, 
He rebuked the unclean spirit. And that legion of devils came out of that man. And the Bible says he sat at Jesus' feet in his right mind. I know he was there. I know he was there. I believe he didn't come with one branch. He came with five branches. He said, Lord, I want to let you know that I was so possessed of demons. I didn't have just one demon. I had a legion of demons. I was so in despair and despondency. I wanted to kill myself. I was living in the tombs. But i got to come and let you know that I was dead and now I'm alive. And I'm in my right mind. I've got to give you a right praise and let you know I'm thankful for everything you've done. You know what Palm Sunday's about? Palm Sunday's about waving our branch and waving our hands and thanking the Lord that if it wasn't for him, we would be still in our sin. And some of you need to be reminded that you're not as good as you think you are, but you're not as bad as you think you are. Remember? This season, I've chosen. I'm going to be a part of the crowd that day. I'm going to wave my branch this week. I'm not going to be the one that shows up and says, crucify him. But I'm going to stay in the crowd. I'm going to wave my branch. And I'm going to thank him for what he's done. You know why this is powerful? Because as I was praying... A few days ago, actually it was last week, and I started to go on my list. Lord, I need this, I need you to do this. I heard, and I say that respectfully, I heard the Lord say to me, Son, I want you to stop. I have done a lot for you. You don't even realize how much I've done. I don't want you to be greedy in my presence. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Take a moment and look back over your life and see everything that I've done. Your Thanksgiving list should be louder than your shopping list. And so I just stopped right there and I lifted my hands up. I want to be like the ten lepers. I want to go back and give them thanks. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and wave your branch this morning and say, I want to give God praise. I want to give God thanks for everything he's ever done for me. witnesses it's the crowd amen 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 to God be the glory on this Palm Sunday